This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Veep. Veep follows former Vice President and one-time President Selena Meyer and her staff as they attempt to make their mark and leave a lasting legacy without getting tripped up in the day-to-day political games that define Washington. Vulture raves every member of the ensemble cast is still performing at his or her peak, and IndieWire states Julia Louise Dreyfus continues to slay. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding comedy series and all other categories. Lorne Balf is a film, TV, and video game composer who, together with his longtime co-collaborator Hans Zimmer, wrote the main title of National Geographic, Fox 21, and Imagine's limited series, Genius, which follows the life of Albert Einstein. Genius marks the second Emmy nomination for both Balf and Zimmer. Balf was previously nominated in the Dramatic Score category for the Sundance Channel miniseries Restless five years ago, while Zimmer was previously recognized for his music composition work on HBO's The Pacific. Balf's first score was for DreamWorks Animation's Megamind, which he co-composed with Zimmer. Some of his outstanding credits include the TV miniseries The Bible and movies Terminator Genesis, Ghost in the Shell, the Lego Batman movie, and the upcoming Dean Devlin action thriller Geostorm. When it comes to the original main theme category this year at the Emmys, it's a bloodbath. Competing against Genius is FX's Feud, CBS All Access's The Good Fight, Netflix's Stranger Things, PBS's Victoria, and HBO's Westworld. We're here with Balf today at Zimmer's Remote Control Studios to discuss how they breathed musical life into the complex scientific and emotional story of Albert Einstein. This is Crew Call with Anthony D'Alessandro. So, you're a Scottish native. Tell me about coming here to remote control. How did you find Hans Zimmer? And, you know, you've done a magnificent amount of work with him. Aside from, you know, composing for films like Megamind and um, The Dilemma, uh, the, the, you know, there's there's been, the, you know, you did the Bible series and then you've worked on all these other Zimmer projects, like on Inception. And um, so tell us a little bit about that. Well, I, I yes, I'm a Scottish native and uh, I got here because... I wasn't doing particularly well at college. I, I, I attended maybe five different music colleges and conservatoires, and it was not going well for me. I was struggling so much. The world of academia was just not my calling. And I'd, I'd kind of technically be asked to leave one place, and then I'd get into another one, and then that wouldn't work out, and I'd get into another one. And it was a continuing pattern. Um, of it just never working out well i was dyslexic also still am it's not like it's a phase um and i just didn't succeed at it and and i'd somehow manipulate the situation so i could get into another college and uh so things weren't quite working that way and i and i didn't i can't say i really knew about film music um i was more into jingles and commercials and I loved commercials, and I saw, and I knew that uh, around this time John Powell would have been at Remote, and they had a, a commercial division. So I thought that's what I want to get into. I had been doing commercials since I was sixteen, seventeen, and I just I loved them. So I wrote a letter saying, "Look, I, I've got no qualifications." I've got, uh, I haven't passed any of my exams, but I can be a really good tea boy. I can make wicked tea. And 
uh, I wrote a letter, an actual letter, not an email, and I sent it over to the studio manager, and they said, well, we don't do interns, but if you if you if you are around, pop by. And I don't think they fully understood I was actually in Scotland at the time, so I bought a ticket and I came over. And then I was uh, I was an intern for about forty eight hours. My tea was horrendous, so bad. And uh, but I was very lucky because a composer here called Henning Loner walked into the kitchen on my first day. I was sitting there, and I met Jerry Bruckheimer. And about I was too scared to say anything. And the second day, Henning Loner, who was a composer, just randomly walked in and said, "Who can play the piano?" And I said, "I can." I wasn't very good. I said, "I can, I but I can." And he said, "Okay, come with me." And then I worked for Henning for about five years. So it was potluck. It, it's basically everything's been based around saying yes and not really knowing if I could or not. Um, it was the same with then when I met Hans, he said, do you know how to properly sequence? And it was a software called Cubase. And I said, yes, I had never touched it in my life. And so I just spent all night on YouTube and manuals reading about it. And the following day <laughs> I did it because my godfather used to be, was an actor and he was in all these films like St. Trinian's and the Carry On films, all these British black and white who movies. Who was he? Norman Mitchell. He was one of these faces that you recognize and you never knew the name. But I always remember as a child him always saying, always say yes. When, when, when a director would say to him, can you speak French? He'd say yes. And can you ride a horse? Yes. You always say yes and then you learn it. <laughs> so that's how I got, that's how I got, I came over really, potluck. And, and, then, and then it just meant I started meeting all these people, Henning I worked for. And then I started working for Rupert Gregson Williams, um, doing night shifts for him. And then Batman Begins was the first time I worked with um, Hans. Hans. Excellent. That that is a brilliant story. And then and then how did how did you find yourself to Megamind to finally co-composing? Um, well, I think a lot of people seem to think that it's an it's a natural path the co-composing or, or, or jobs. It's not. I think what, what happens is that I I think I'd worked for Hans for maybe 12 years. It's been a long time, whenever Batman Begins was. So it's been a long time. And and I've had other people that I've worked with where they they hide you as a composer. You sit in a back room and you get no credit and your name is n nowhere to be seen. And, and he's the exact opposite of it. And I think his ethos and his training had been the same. He'd worked for Stanley Myers, the deer hunter, and it actually led on to other projects at Paper House where he then was given credit. So he's, he's very generous with that. Generous sounds kind of patronizing. It, it just, it's justified. He looks at it as justification for it. So um, a lot of projects just started, he started seeing how much I was doing and I think probably before Megamind, I think we did Call of Duty, and I think that he just he just he's always making sure that the people working on it are around the filmmakers also. So then that then leads to the same way as like on Frost Nixon. Ron Ron was very aware of how much I was contributing to that score, and then and then the next few years, goodness knows how many years it was until the dilemma, and then that was our first joint credit with Ron. So it, it it's it's a case of credit happens when when you kind of cross that line and you're contributing more and then 
you've you've well the dilemma was your first co-composed credit yeah. on the on a Ron Howard film you worked on a number of others with Hans there was there was Rush yes there was uh, Frost Nixon Frost Nixon Angels and Demons The Da Vinci Code I think I've only not I probably there's only two I haven't done Backdraft because I was probably at school and then one other the last what the last uh, Dan Brown now how how is Ron when it comes to score is he you know because one of the things I noticed about Gene it's really funny because when you talk to certain composers and you know that work on TV series they're like oh well you know we only use I only compose six minutes for this particular episode or they'll use more um, you, you know songs yeah other you know lucky composers yeah and and it's like oh well you know we don't really let the score this was very cinematic though yeah i mean it's by a filmmaker yes. genius there's a lot of score in this yes a lot so let's let's talk about let's talk about that but also what was your schedule like was it like a regular tv series schedule or was it more like He's making this ten-hour film. No, I it, it was a normal, regular TV schedule where the composer normally panics and wets themselves because they get told they've got a weekend episode. It's just, it's crazy, and I think that's why I probably would do more TV if it wasn't for that schedule. It's just so hard, and I, I and I think I think more people are talking about TV schools now than they are film schools. Personally. When people come in and directors on films, they're, they're talking about, have you seen this show? Have you been seen? So it's t t overtaken. Um, but I think that the whole point with Ron and music is that he loves experimentation. Just he, even till the, when you're close to the dub, it doesn't mean that the score is finished. You can still be experimenting with ideas and, and, and constantly trying to find new ways to, to, freshen the sound up so so yes i think the process was a lot of writing not to picture so i was going over to prague when they were filming because the thing is is that the fact that einstein played the violin also and his love for music was just as important as so it had to be equal we didn't want it just so you saw somebody playing the violin and that then was just an on-scene thing that you saw so the violin had the feature in the school but very subtly so I think that the decisions with the music was also trying to not treat it as, I don't know if TV music, that term exists any longer, but it used to. And that phrase, the Hallmark music, which I've done a Hallmark film, actually, ironically, and I was told don't do it like Hallmark. But, but, um, but I think that it's, it's, it's more that spacing and it's that time. It's great shows like Broadchurch. You know, the music is just allowed to breathe. You get given a three, four minute scene when it's, there's no dialogue, so you can be more cinematic. So I think with Genius, there's so much information. There's so many descriptions of theory that none of us understand. It doesn't matter, because what are you meant to do? Simplify it for a donkey to understand. It's, you need to be given those, that, those statistics. And I think the music just had to kind of help support it as an underbelly and then just keep propelling you through the scenes so there was a lot of a lot of experimentation and i think ron always just kept saying about what is that eureka sound what's that moment when when you get it and you get that flash of inspiration or you get that sound of uh i i figured it out which is interesting because 
films have now changed that sound. It's always when somebody gets the idea, it's crazy music. And and you speak to anybody, it's not how it works in the brain. They get it and there's a bit of relief. There's pause, there's breath. So I think it's it, it's when you're dealing with somebody like Einstein or any, any figure, it's like Churchill. I just finished a film about Churchill and it's like, you don't really want to write music that's, we know, you're, you're trying to write what we don't know about those characters. That's the intention, at least. Was that Ron's instruction, though, for the for the main theme, a eureka sound? Because you feel that. It's this, it's this gorgeous, classical, oh, yes. riveting sound that says, you got to watch this. Yes. Well, quite honestly, that, that Hans have been talking about those stabs for maybe a year and a half before anything was written. And he just kept talking about the idea of those those hard stabs that the piece begins with to a draw you in but also it's that shock it's that feeling of you've you now know something and you lost of your loss of breath occurs so so the notes weren't no we kind of never knew what the notes were but we just knew what the plan was those shut like hard cuts <laughs> This episode is brought to you by HBO's original limited series, Big Little Lies. Told through the eyes of three mothers, Big Little Lies paints a picture of a town fueled by rumors, conflicts, secrets, and betrayals. Vanity Fair raves, the performances are downright mesmerizing. For your Emmy consideration, an outstanding limited series, and all other categories. And then, did you have, I gotta imagine for the first episode, your run-up to that, you probably had, what? A few months? Oh, prob- probably longer. But also, it was kind of talking about other episodes also. That's that's the tricky thing with TV. Sometimes you're, you're thinking about episode four before one. So, so I think that we would have quite a lot of lunches in Prague with Ron and, and uh, Johnny that played the young Einstein. And we had the luxury of... Um, Ollie Langford, who was the violinist, and taught um, Jeffrey and Johnny how to play the violin because Johnny could play the violin. He's a folk. He's a folk star. He's actually got his own band, so he he can play the, the intro. Jeffrey can't play the violin. Well, now he can. Um, so every lunchtime, whilst we were having our lunch, we had a a, recite, a personal recital, trying to figure out what's the music that could, what's the classical music that could feature in the show because you've got a good player. And, and somebody that can't necessarily play, you need to see them do it. And Ron's not, he's not big on wanting to kind of fake scenes up. So it was important for Jeffrey to, to be able to do it. 
so so every lunchtime we were auditioning these pieces of classical music and it was like okay well what's easy to play but what can be emotional and what can sound that there's a, a great performance there so then that started creating slowly started creating the concepts of what where we could go musically um but a, a lot was this writing 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 not necessarily to picture and then having discussions and playing it and listening to it. And also with TV, that's the tricky thing. There's a lot of people who want to give opinions and that's just the way it is. And 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 it's 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 not just about one person. And that's one great thing about Ron, even with the, his films, he's always very aware of taking other people's opinion, whether it's the studio, fellow producers. So you just can't have one person say, I love that, that main theme. It's got to go to a lot of people. So how, so how far did that? What was the arc on this theme? Like, how much did it change from what what you guys originally put down on paper? The, 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 what goes down on paper probably stays the same, but the attitude changes. So the notes are the same, but the presentation and and the whole attitude of of it changed constantly. And I think that the first time when we were doing it, it was probably more organic than it ended up because more episodes started happening and we started using more synths in it and then that's why then you end up with this kind of you end up with a violin arpeggio but then you've got a a, a moog arp in right in the middle of it so all these colors started changing the theme so so that we were able to by the end of the series go these are the colors now a callback to the main title where was that important to insert where did you find uh, weirdly enough during the show, we kind of, uh, it was never planned, but the point of that main title piece is the word genius. And I think that whenever we tried to incorporate it into the school, it never made sense. And it never made sense to have it when Einstein was there because you're being, you're, 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 you're telling the audience he is the genius and we want to discover his journey. So, the, so, we tried several times to incorporate it and it would just overtake the situation. And I think that's why we sat back and said, why does it have to? Plenty of examples of where the theme doesn't have to constantly evolve through it. And there's so many, you've got so many timelines, you've got so many characters, you've got all of Einstein's love interests, which are exhausting. And, and I think that it was just, it was a step back moment to say, you don't need to use it all the time because it doesn't make any sense. He's, he's, it's a gradual, it's a gradual journey that Albert had. He, there wasn't one moment he was uh, a genius. It was a continuous journey. And when we put the theme there, it would just, it would stand out. It's so classical. Like you could mistake it easily for, you know, something, you know, from, you know, from the 16th or 17th century. What, what, um, was there any inspiration? The weird, the weirdest thing you see, Neither Hans or I are classically trained. And I'm definitely not classically trained, even though I end up writing a lot of orchestral music for some reason. But the weird thing about it is that you, we kind of... It's like when you start analysing ABBA songs. Very... It's very kind of Bach fugues when you start looking at it. So, so the point of it was... I know Ron never wanted it to be purely classical. He said, because then it's just com conventional and it just makes the story kind of feel a bit flat. So so I think that, I think what we wanted to do was make maybe the notes classical 
but the presentation a bit quirky and that the world of synthesizers were able to come in and just give different tones instead of it necessarily sounding like a 18th century quartet being played all the time but you can't alienate the audience i think that if you start kind of producing rock guitar and drum and bass dubstep beats all over it i think it just i think it would alienate the audience so you you wanted to see that period of time but, but present it differently and the other awesome thing that i noticed is that there would be score and sequences it, the score really made um it really gave a a, a great pace yes. to a story that has a lot of math and yeah. science yeah. to it and like there'll be uh, a scene where they're taking a test yeah. and there'll be a really lively yeah. score to it or they're making like scientific uh you know they're blowing glass yeah and they're making the sign you know scientific glass you know science glass um the, and there's a great score to it talk about that talk about giving this narrative just a lively pace well I've, pace is the important term it's a sense of time and I think that I think that there was two ways to do those scenes and I think I wrote them both I, I gave them each a go and I think that the best was to have a sense of urgency and a sense of time because no matter what I, I, I think I think when people talk about being able to come up with theories or an idea or even if you're planning your kitchen renovation there's the ideas start coming to you you know that you want the sink in a certain area and I think that we musically we wanted to try to do that also the fact that information is coming and it's a train it's a constant pounding of a train getting you through it because the information's being thrown at you um, and also I think that when you sat, sit back and you make it very still I think sometimes I would not necessarily understand what was going on or what was being said and I think having the a propeller action to it made you feel okay I might not understand some of it but I get the gist of it and I think it's I think it's to make the audience feel comfortable you don't want to alienate people do you it's it's, it's just the it's 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 like when you see a shot in a movie and you know it's the pentagon but yeah it's it's the pentagon at the bottom you don't need to you know you don't need to hammer out for everybody all the time so you're working with jerry bruckheimer again yes horse, horse soldiers tell us about that and then you're working on the crown yes tell tell us tell us both about those, those well projects. jerry jerry i had got to know obviously through hands because i think i'd worked on three pirates i believe and uh so i then uh the beginning of this year i worked on a film of his called geostorm and and then that led on to this film horse soldiers so i think the advantage one of the great things that i had from hands was the fact that i've been able to be witness to all these great filmmakers be able to sit in the back and witness the good times and the bad times and and i think that the same with ron and then and then working with um, chris nolan because i'd worked on dunkirk and um and then with jerry so so you you get to un you're getting to witness how people work and so i, I did geostorm 
and then also just started so so we're in the middle of that so we've been working on that and then the crown i worked a tiny bit on it last season and um but this season i'm fully on it with rupert so it's again it's just those situations where it's overwhelming just so it's so many episodes and so little time and you're on a week-to-week schedule with the crown with netflix n- n- no I, th- I think i think also if you do your timing you're able to kind of spend time that because there's more new characters or more character development in this season so being able to have time and and prepare it's all about preparation with tv i think friends of mine that are on this those those network shows where they're doing a week i don't know how they live and I think I always try to backtrack, so I know when that's going to happen. And by then, I'm, my music's already in the edit suite, so we're kind of already s- saving some fights. So before we go, one last question about Dunkirk, because yeah. it's just a brilliant, epic film. Tell us about your fingerprints on that. Fingerprints. <laughs> um, <laughs> fingerprints. Well, um, I Hans and Chris asked me to come on board, and. I had the luxury of taking my studio up to the dub stage and working on the stage for maybe about a month and a half. And I, 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 I wouldn't know where my prints lie because I don't think it works. It, it weirdly, it doesn't work that way. We, Hans and I were talking about it, and, and weirdly, I, I, think it's, I think it's Hans's one of his most interesting and I think most important film schools. I think that it's... I, I think it's dividing people, and I think that's great because it makes people talk about it. Some people are finding a lack of um, where are the big tunes, and others feel that it's perfect because it's constant tension. But but I think that it's also it's really Chris's score. It's 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 come from his head, and and it's pretty amazing because I think that. When you watch it, there's there's a lot going on that's not necessarily on the soundtrack. That are Chris's ideas, and Hans has just c- tried to communicate that because it's just I, I watched it again. I was watching it every day on the dub stage for a for a month and a half, and I went to w- watch it to uh, a week ago, and I just still think it's breathtaking. I think that what the music does is is exactly what I think people the point of music it's not meant to overtake the situation it's not meant to f- force you to feel a certain thing it's a compliment it's accompanying the visuals and and if somebody doesn't like listening to it as a soundtrack i don't think that matters because it's got to work with the visuals and and that's a tricky thing it's like when you're writing a, a cue for a scene and the director says, i don't like that melody so you take the melody out because there's dialogue and they may feel that it's distracting so so it's it's a difficult one to kind of say that film music and tv music is um right or wrong i think because it's it's serving a purpose which is the fit, which is the show do you think i lied this is my last question do you think that sound design and sometimes score blurs the line when they're when they they put a tone or a pulse over the film and it it again it, it's meant to well it's it's meant to get to our senses i don't think there is a line and i don't think there should be a line because i i think that 
it's all one package. And I think package makes it sound kind of simplistic. But I think that one of the most amazing things with Dunkirk is is um, Richard King's sound effects. And I think with that, there's so much of it which you don't know if it's music or if it's sound effects uh, because it will become the same tempo as the music and, and the room tone then starts being connected. I, I think if you can't tell, that's fine. I think it, it it's a... It's something that people have done for a long time. There's a fantastic film called uh, The Mothman Prophecies. I say fantastic, but not many people may agree. A Mothman Prophecies that Tom and Andy did the score to. Uh, and I remember talking to Claude Letissier, that was the sound designer on it. And th this is probably going back 20 years, maybe. But I, I was amazed by it because I said, I said, I couldn't tell what the music was and what the sound effects were. I thought, I thought it was amazing. It's like Thin Red Line. The, so the sound design in it, and Claude Letizia did that also, you don't know what's what. And I think that, to me, I think that's amazing. And it's like when Stuart Copeland did Wall Street, there was he was, he was using sound effects in there, even though it was like samples of dogs. It was a bit dated. But still, it was creating something that you don't necessarily know what it is. And I think that some purists may worry about the line, but I think that we have we have to cross the line. You know, it's that thing. Just don't don't follow rules. I think as soon as there's rules, you're stuffed. And I think, do you feel that? Do you do you think that there's a line being crossed? I think that um, I just think it's a very interesting conversation. I first noticed it in um, in Ridley Scott's The Counselor yes. on how on how um, that was that was being used as far as the score in yes. terms of metallic sounds and synthesized sounds. Yes. And then you see Nick Bertel really do it, but more in a sonic fashion on yeah. on uh, Moonlight. Yes. And so, uh, I, I mean, I think it's a great thing, whatever works. And then you see a lot of it done on Breaking Bad. Yes. A lot of it done on Breaking Bad. Yeah. I. Th the thing is, is that I suppose it's it's... Some people will use the word tricks. I think a trick means something that's not real, or you, and you're trying to manipulate it. And I don't think that that the kind of that's not necessarily a good thing. I think I think the one things that you have in life is what, what your memories are are based around rhythms or sounds. And when you 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 if you go for a walk in the country, you're aware you're aware of uh, of the tempos and the tonality of it. And I think that's why with music, it's you you can either have that experience like Star Wars where you're able to put it on and I always remember for some reason as a child I kept listening to the Ewok Village theme from Return of the Jedi I just loved that piece of music now it made no sense I didn't know what film music was but this was it the tribal song yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yub 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 <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, my poor parents had to listen to it every ruddy day, but but I loved it. Now, um, the, really, nowadays it's technically would have been source music, wouldn't it? Because it it starts off you see them performing it, um, but but I just think it, it's a difficult one when, when when I've been doing it all day today. I'm looking at scenes, I'm taking a lot of the music out, and trying to create an underbelly. Now. It's probably not going to be the best thing to listen to on the album, but I, but that I, I think you have to forget that. But yeah, 
the Ewok village you could listen to constantly. So I think it's it's a tr tricky one how to write nowadays, whether you want to listen to drones, uh, you know, on the sound uh, on a soundtrack, or 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 but it, yet it will work well with the picture. And I think I think that's like that. Tom and Andy with 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 Mothman. I I, I think I've listened to it um, separately, and it doesn't have the same experience. It's it's after ten minutes. It's it's okay. I, I I'm now missing everything else that was going around it because they were working as one. The sound effects were being pitched, and it, it just made a whole connection. But crossing the line is a good thing. It it pushes us. Excellent, Lauren Balf on Crew Call.